Thank you, Mrs. Haynes, for that. We're turning our Bibles this morning to John 21. And already the second week of February here, hard to believe. Last week we started the month with listening on purpose. Yeah, today in John 21, we're going to look at loving on purpose. The notes are in your bulletin, as always, if you'd like to follow along. John 21, just to give you a little context here, uh, Peter had denied Jesus three times. And he had even cursed and, and made a, a point to let everyone know that he did not know who Jesus was. And remember, as the rooster crowed, he went out and wept bitterly. And now this is after the resurrection, and we see Jesus contacts Peter. John 21, verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And this is a powerful passage of Scripture, and we're going to do our best, Lord willing, to unpack it this morning as we talk about loving on purpose. Father, we thank you for your word today and the way that it still speaks to our hearts. It's a living book. It's a powerful book. And I pray that the power of the word of God would come down to this place today, that the spirit of God would speak to each heart and that you would work in our midst in a wonderful way to your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you listen as Mrs. Dewey sings, How Beautiful. despise 
for that. How beautiful is that song? That's a really nice song. Yeah, the, the body of Christ, that was the local church. So I'm looking out at you, and you're beautiful. I, what a beautiful thing right here today. Good to see you. Now, some of you are laughing. I was being serious. I was paying you a compliment. Um, I certainly did not look at all of them. In fact, I didn't even go to the second page. But when I did a Google search for the word love, it came back with 6.12 billion results in one-fifth of a second. I guess it's a pretty big topic in 2013. Uh, When I typed in unconditional love, the numbers went down to 10.8 million which I'm sure you math majors already figured out 
is only about one five thousandth of the other number. One over 5,666 for you detail-oriented people. Um, Agape love, which we'll talk about today, only got 1.92 million results. Punched in dating, and you get 614 million results. From Match.com to eHarmony to Cupid to Chemistry, there's even Christian Mingle. There's a whole bunch of people on the planet who are searching for that elusive thing called lube. <laughs> Been working on that this week. Did we get it? <laughs> and uh, there are songs about it, and books, and plays, and movies, billboards, radio stations, cards, gifts, entire stores, in fact, devoted to love. People want to grab hold of that feeling. They want that emotional high, that bliss. And we heard the word so love, or we hear the word love so much in our modern society that the idea becomes commonplace to us. It's just another thing. Because of this, we've got to be extremely careful as Christ followers that our defining characteristics of love are shaped by God's Word instead of the culture. Today we're going to look at some foundational biblical passages that answer the basic questions of love. And we're going to find out if love is this warm, fuzzy feeling or if it's something more than that. See, love isn't going to be a noun very long unless it's also a verb. Love's not going to be a thing in your life unless you're actually doing it. If love isn't loving, things will quickly turn into a country music song. And the truck and the dogs, all you'll have left. Right? Because that's where most country music songs end up. So so we're going to look at four questions here today. The first is this. Why do we love? Why do we love? Ask your neighborhood evolutionist. Why it is that accidental blobs of mutated materials, like human beings, have feelings for each other. And I'm sure that he's going to have a winning response. Well, higher animals have endorphin release in their midbrain structure. And only humans have evolved enough to process and reflect on those impulses in thought, blah, blah, blah. Could I tell you, my friend... Why you have such emotional variety in your life? Why you feel fear and grief, desire, affection, anger, joy? The answer is in one word, God. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Genesis 1.27 Adam was made in the image of God. Perfect body, perfect soul, Perfect spirit. Adam and Eve were given the full slate of emotions by God. Obviously, sin and death have turned some of those emotions to impurity. But God is still the very definition of love. Look with me to 1 John chapter 4. It's such a remarkable and beautiful passage. 1 John chapter 4. And I love the whole chapter, but for the sake of time, we're going to start in verse number 7. 
If you've never underlined parts of this chapter and you're an underliner, this is a good passage to look at. 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. That means He's the source of love. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. God equals love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. It means it was openly shown to us. Because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And sent His Son to be the propitiation or the mercy seat for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. See, the capacity for love doesn't come from anywhere but God. God set every standard for love by sending His only begotten Son into the world to become the ransom for filthy sinners. And now we don't love because we feel like it or because He or she is nice to us. We love because God loved us. And what He did really is love. You know, it requires no love to feel kindness to someone who's been nice to you first. If somebody walks down the street today and hands you $10,000, it's not going to take much for you to say, I love you. <laughs> right? If I say it again, will you give me another $10,000? Uh, giving, it, it, and when somebody gives, it doesn't take much for us to love them. But what God does and what God did is loved us when we were unlovable. It's not love that we loved God. It's love that He loved us. We're unworthy. We're undone. Not one of us deserves His love. But He gave it. And that's why we love. Not because anyone around us is deserving. We love because He first loved us. If you look at the person next to you today, you know what you're going to find? Someone who is undeserving of love. Now, some of you are like, whoa. Can I say that out loud? I, I just looked. It's my husband, my wife. Is that, is that really valid? Can I really say that? Yeah, that person is unworthy of love. You don't love them because of their worthiness. You love them because of God. You love them because you've been loved. Look down, verse 19, same chapter. We'll see this again in a minute. Look what it says. We, live, we love Him because He first loved us. That's why we love. Now there's another question that we have to hit, and that's whom do we love? I think we've all heard the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. It is kind of generic to say, hey, we should love everyone. But that's the easy thing to say. It's not the easy thing to do. It's the easy thing to say. And yep, Christians should love God and everyone. Right, got that. How's that working out for you? Loving everyone. See, saying that we care means absolutely nothing. It's easy to say that we care about anything. 
That's what progressive liberals do. And that's why progressive liberals discuss the real givers in society. They talk a good game about providing for everyone's needs, but then the vice president of the United States gives less than $1,000 to charity. Sorry, I got on a soapbox there for a second. Um, Soapbox alert. Uh, Christians, let's get back to us. We can say that we love God, but in works, deny Him. And God calls that, now this is a Bible word, and maybe you don't know it. God calls that abomination. Abomination. That's what God calls it. Now what that means is it disgusts Him. Right? Have you ever thought, or maybe said, or maybe kind of verbalized, you make me want to throw up. Right? Or that makes me want to puke. Um, we just went up to winter retreat for a few days with the teens. And there were several things up there that made me literally want to lose my lunch or my supper. There's a game that they did where one person has to pick up Cheetos with their bare foot, their bare toe, and somebody else has to eat them. All right? But the game gets much worse than that. At the end, they give you extra points if you lick the Cheeto dust off. Yeah, it's, it's bad news. Um, they had another game where there's a sheet of plexiglass, and they had um, two counselors on each side of the plexiglass, and they smeared peanut butter, large quantities of peanut butter on both sides. And then they had to each, within 30 seconds or one minute or whatever, lick both sides of that plexiglass. That is not a photo finish. That's not what you want to see. Um, those, those are things that make you want to lose parts of what's, yeah, yeah, that stuff. You know what I'm talking about. But God, when He talks about abomination, it disgusts Him. And by the way, that's one of the emotions that He passed down to us through Adam. That's why you can get disgusted. Because God can get disgusted. Ever heard somebody say, well, I just love everybody. Now, my first question, I guess, would be, so you know everybody? I had kind of a big statement, but truth is, you haven't met everyone, and you never will. But you are responsible to love the people that you meet. And God tells us to love both the Christian one another's and the unsaved world. As in, for God so loved the world. That world. And love really starts with the people closest to you, and it continues to work out in circles to the person that you just met for the first time. God says, well, let's look at it while we're in 1 John 4. And uh, back down in verse number 19. We love him because he first loved us. Now look at verse 20. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. That's how they say it down south. He's a liar. Okay, He that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. And there are people in Christian communities, just like this one, who say, well, I love God. It's just people I can't stand. Right? 
I love God, but that person really, really gets me. That's false love. God says that if we really love Him, we're going to love people. Which people? Well, it starts with the ones we already know. It starts with the ones that we already struggle with. It starts with the ones whose personalities don't match ours. It starts with the ones who kind of grate on us when we see them a little bit. And Jesus, once again, you, you know this story, in Luke 10, a smart lawyer had this question about who should be on his neighbor list. Right? You remember this? Luke 10. Uh, if you want to turn over there, I'll read it. Luke 10. It's what we know as the Good Samaritan. But if you go to Luke 10 and skip down to verse number 25. Luke 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering, he said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. So what he's basically saying is, Hey, you be perfect, and you'll go to heaven. Right? But nobody can do that. The lawyer, though, verse 29, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Right? Like, I've got you stumped on this one. And there were always guys who showed up where Jesus was, and they were going to trick him. And they were going to stump him. And they were going to put one over on him that he'd never heard before. And they were going to surprise Jesus. You know, Jesus has never been surprised not once. And that time when you tried to do it, you didn't do it either. And that time when you tried to be the first person in history to manipulate God, you failed with all the rest of them. God is sovereign. He is immortal, invisible, and only wise. And you can never trick Him. And this guy couldn't trick Jesus. And Jesus answered with a story. A certain man went down to Jericho and fell among thieves who had stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. By chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And you know the story. He took care of him. He took him to the inn. Look what Jesus said down in verse 36. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? Which one was his neighbor? Was it the Levite? The religious priest? The one who had all the book knowledge? Or was it the stranger, the Samaritan, who actually bent down and helped him? You know, when it comes to love, there are people who are pagan heathens who could teach us something. Because sometimes, if love doesn't fit this exact circle or this exact cookie-cutter shape that we learn in church, then we're not going to love. Right? And, and God's trying to give us a new idea about 
Whom should we love? I don't know if you're like me, but I find there are some people that are harder to love than others. Right? I don't mind sharing God's love with the people who share it back. But loving like Jesus does goes way beyond that. When you read about who Jesus loved, He didn't love the people who were nice to Him. He loved the people who spat upon Him. He loved the people who mocked Him. He loved the people who hung Him on a cross. And so it brings us to another question. When do we love? When do we love? It's another big question. This is the reality question, right? I mean, how long, Pastor, do I have to hold out with this old buzzard? How long do I have to put up with this nagging woman? Before we get into this answer, let me add a disclaimer, okay? Just throw this one in. If, if you're being physically abused or violated, God does not expect you to stay in a relationship. It's a whole different ball of wax than what we're talking about today. Talking about normal human relationships, if there are any, because we are strange creatures. What if he's not, she's not? But pastor, wait, what if he did, she did? How long do I have to love and forgive? And the first thought is probably enough to answer the whole thing. How long do you want God to love and forgive you? I mean, that pretty much answers it, right? How long do you want God to love and forgive you? There are books and studies written by people who think you came from monkeys that give incredibly logical answers to this big question, which is kind of weird in itself since logic comes from God. But so many of the culture ideas on how long do I love are completely wrong according to God's Word. Did you know that Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend... Loveth at all times. A friend loveth at all times. I wonder how many people we have turned away from the truth because we bought into the world's tough love gimmick. When I think of tough love, my mind always goes to the father of the prodigal son. Standing on that porch every day, watching for his rebellious son to come home. Seeing him stumbling far down the road and hiking up his patriarchal robe to run down the road so that he could fall on his neck and kiss him. Certainly sounds like tough love to me. God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. This is a bold statement, but I'll go ahead and make it. You can stop loving her when God stops loving you. You could stop loving him when God 
stops loving you. Tell you what, I don't like that idea. I'll start loving you again when you work at our relationship. I'll start loving you again when you take care of the things I've asked you to do. (laughs) That'll never happen. You've lived with him for 23 years. And the list still has never been done. Right? And if you're expecting him to finish the list before you love him again, you'll never love him again. Here's why. A couple reasons. First of all, your expectations for him will never make you happy. Second of all, you keep adding to the darn list. Oh, ladies, dear ladies, I love you. I'll get the man in just a second. Listen to me. The expectations that you have to give him love will never, it's never going to make either one of you happy. You know what God wants you to do? Let go of the expectations and just love. Here, here's the father of the prodigal. Can you imagine him on the porch? As he stands there and says, Okay, well, if he ever comes home, after he kisses my feet, washes the chariot, cleans the hog pen, does all these things, I might think about forgiving him. Now he runs down the robe. Down the road. <laughs> he runs down the robe. His robe may have been run onto. He runs down the road, robe hiked up, and weeps over his son. Kisses him. Never mentions one thing on the list. Not one thing. He said, let's get you home. There's a fatted calf ready for you. On the other side of this thing, men, if you could do one thing every day, to actually show your wife that you love her, it would help extremely. Like just one thing. Pick up your socks, fix her toothbrush, put the toilet seat down, do something. Just one thing. It it would help extremely. And this how do we love question, which we're going to get to in a minute, is the biggest question. It's kind of where the rubber meets the road. But When do I love? When do I get to stop loving? You don't. Who are we to withhold love when we have been so loved? I'm not advocating that you love everyone equally. Human limitations won't allow that. That's why God designed marriage to be between one man and one woman. Because He knows that's all we can handle. Right? That's why, listen to me, guys. That little girl at the desk at work who's got your affections, she's stealing from your marriage. That guy who's listening to all your emotional grievances, my dear lady, at work, he is stealing from your marriage. That's why God gave you a husband. And I know what the ladies are thinking. Well, I would tell him, but he never listens to me. Right? Yeah, got that one pegged. 
Some are laughing, some are blowing up like balloons right now. We all have issues in our lives and our relationships that are not easy. Can you believe that Sister D. Deacons has lived with this man right here for how many years, D? 54 years. He is one of the most cantankerous. Can you believe that, dear Earlene, I don't even have to finish the sentence. 48 years. Listen, love, never easy. It's a commitment, not a feeling. And the when do I get to stop loving question, if you will just take that out of your life, you'll improve a lot of things. I remember the first year we were married, <laughs> we had some, some go-rounds. And my wife had to go home sick right before church. Um, so she doesn't even get to be a part of this interaction today. Which is so hard, and it's her calling right now. She wants to be a part. But that first year, you know what we determined? We said, let's just never, ever talk about the D word. Because there are going to be times when we don't like each other. And yet God still said we're supposed to love each other. Isn't that weird? Like, I do not like you right now at all, but I love you. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Did you have to say that? Uh, and she'd asked me from time to time, on a scale of 1 to 10, how do you think our marriage is? And of course, oblivious me, 8, 9, 10, all good. And she would literally say, I was thinking a 2. <laughs> That's pretty abrupt. When do we love? When do we get to stop loving? We don't. What if he does? What if she? God said, if you have made that covenant with each other, that it is a covenant for life. You say, Pastor, well, what about this happened to me? And this? No, start today. Start where your covenant is now and move forward. You can't change what happened 10 years ago. You can't go back 12 years. You have to go from today and find the covenant that God wants you to be in. That's why God designed it this way, because love is a big commitment. In fact, it's an unconditional commitment. When do we love? How about when do we not? In just a minute, we're going to see it in 1 Corinthians 13, where it says that charity endureth all things. Charity never faileth. So let's get to the question. How do we love? How do we love? Biggest one, hardest one. Okay, I get the premise, Pastor. I'm with you so far. I'm supposed to love God, and I'm supposed to love others because God has loved me. I'm supposed to love every person God's allowed me to know. I'm never supposed to stop doing that. But how in the world is that going to happen? How do I act out love? I've heard people say before, my personality is just not geared toward love. Right? Did you hear what you just said? My personality is not geared toward love. 
You know, there is not a personality on earth that doesn't need love. Not one. And if you need to receive love, then God wants you to know how to also give love. So how do we love? I'm so glad that you asked me that question. I really am. This is the most important part of the message. And the fact that you are interested enough to still ask questions really is good. And I could see just in your brain, how do I do this? Some of you are looking at him right now like, have you ever, how do you love this guy, right? Some of you kind of got one snake guy going over toward her like, Pastor, you got to be in my shoes for a while. But this is basic. This is good stuff. Here we go to John 14. John 14. Jesus, on the night before his crucifixion, had some important words for his closest friends, his disciples. These are words that are so powerful and so important for us today. John 14. Look at verse number 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Now, I have to confess to you that the touchy-feely crowd does not like that verse. Because what we like to think is, if we go to church, and we sing the right songs, and we glorify God the right way one hour a week, and we feel love, it's all good. We can go do whatever we want all week and come back the next week, and it's all good. And then you read that verse. And Jesus said, hey, if you love me, keep my commandments. Look at verse 21. Look at verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved to my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Verse 24. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. So this is basic. Loving Jesus is simple. Follow his words. Follow his words. Do what he says. And then let's connect this with John 21. John 21, where we started. Peter denied Christ. Jesus looked at him. And in that look, Peter had his heart broken because he knew that Jesus loved him. That Jesus would love him forever, no matter what he did. And that's why he went and wept. He went and wept because he was so sorrowful that he had hurt Jesus Christ. He went and wept bitterly. And now Jesus has made some fish and he's talking to these guys and he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And the Greek word here is agapo, uh, the verb. Do you love me unconditionally? Are you totally invested in who I am? And Peter responds, Lord, you know that I'm fond of you. Greek word is phileo. You know that I'm fond of you. I kind of like to hang out with you. So Jesus asks again, Peter, do you unconditionally love me? Peter said, Lord, you know I'm fond of you. So Jesus asks again, Peter, 
Do you truly, really, unconditionally love me? Finally, there's a breakthrough. But see, loving Jesus is about following his words and feeding his sheep. The truth is, it sounds much easier than it often turns out to be because the ultimate thing that we have to deliberately sacrifice to love God or anyone else is self. You know why Peter didn't want to commit? Why he didn't want to say, Jesus, I love you with my whole heart, everything. Because Peter still had too much of Peter. He still loved himself too much. You know the reason why you're having a hard time loving God? Because you love yourself. You know the reason why you're having a hard time loving him or her? Or them or him, your kids, whoever? Because you love yourself. And therein lies the struggle. We love ourselves so much. And I have to tell you, our generation is the most narcissistic, self-loving generation there's ever been on planet Earth. Most of what people do in their waking hours is spent on self. Now they go to work and do what they got to do, but they spend much more time loving themselves than they do God or anyone else. And that's the struggle that we face. Because we have to sacrifice. You won't find the word self anywhere near the word love. See, the you part has to be set aside. And Peter wasn't quite ready to show that willingness. That's why he was fond of Christ, but he wasn't fully in. And there are a lot of us who are fond of Jesus. We like His Word, but not enough to read it. We like that we can pray to Him, but not enough to do it regularly. We like having a church family, but not enough to invest time and effort and resources into His kingdom. We're fond of Him, but we aren't fully in love with Him. I said we go to 1 Corinthians 13. Let's close up over there. As we finish up the message on loving on purpose. 1 Corinthians 13. And if you've been to church much at all or you've read the Bible, this is a powerful passage of Scripture that I'm sure you've seen before. If you want the nuts and bolts of how to love, this is it. And when we look at these characteristics, I want you to notice how many of them are related to selflessness. Thinking only of the object of love. This is a great passage, a great chapter for you to read with your husband or wife every Valentine's Day. Trade off reading verses. Trade off reading phrases. Look what it is. Verse 4. Charity, or love, suffereth long and is kind. Now, who does the suffering in love? The giver does. The giver suffers Jesus is long-suffering. He suffers for us still. As He sits by the right hand of the throne of God, He still suffers for us. God has suffered for humanity time and time and time again. He's long-suffering. He gives of Himself 
That's what love does. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. That means it doesn't expect more than what's already in the relationship. It doesn't want outside sources to fill its love. Love is enough. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Charity doesn't have to get into a contest. Charity doesn't have to say, well, here's what I did for you. Charity doesn't have to do something kind for your husband or wife and then tell 18 friends so that you can feel good about yourself. Charity doesn't have to vaunt itself up. It just gives. It just gives. And we, we struggle with this in our generation because we, many of us feel like if we're not recognized by another human being in our endeavors, that they don't mean anything. But love is of God. You know, when you give love, God always sees. And He's the one who rewards. He's the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And so this characteristic of love is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. It, it always goes out of its way to be ethical. And, and to share in the right context, in the right moments, what's going on. Seeketh not her own. And that's totally talking about not being selfish. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. <laughs> it's a tough one. Not thinking evil of the other person. Wow. That's what love is. Now, there are times, I promise you, if you're in any relationship, that there are times that the other person is going to be a knucklehead. Right? Ladies, could I get an amen on that? Yeah, exactly. There are going to be times when the other person disappoints you. But charity doesn't think evil of that person. Charity doesn't think evil of the motives of another person. I'm sure that if you have been married very long at all, that you've already had the discussion, I can tell by that look what you're thinking. <laughs> right? The way you said that, I know that what you meant was... And we do that to each other because we like to judge motives. But God's love doesn't judge motives. God's love just gives more. It's freely given. Seeketh not her own, it's not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, charity never faileth. These characteristics are so much about selflessness. And the only way this actually happens is when we allow Jesus Christ to live in us and through us. We can't be selfless on our own. Love is the first element in the fruit of the Spirit. It's a byproduct of spiritual commitment. And if you're having trouble in your earthly relationships, I can guarantee you today that you're also having trouble in your relationship with God. The Bible said this is true. Why do we love? Because He first loved us. Whom do we love? Well, every person God allows on your path. 
When do we love? As long as God loves us. How do we love? Selflessly. Take self out of the picture and your love will improve drastically. See, when you quit asking the question, how can I be loved? And start thinking of how can I love? It'll change everything. It really will. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. That's real love. That's God's love. Let's bow in prayer. As we bow today, I know that some of what we talked about was in a practical setting. But there may be someone here today who has never received the love of God into your life. The Bible says so simply and so plainly, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you have never received everlasting life, we would love to share you from, from God's Word today how you can know that for certain. This is a great day to renew commitments. Maybe husbands and wives just need to come and pray together and say, God, anoint our marriage throughout this year. Maybe you need to pray with one of your kids or pray on your, on your own. I, I don't know how God's working in your heart today. But I know this. Sometimes we have to set aside our biggest enemy, self, and re-embrace Jesus Christ to be our greatest love. Father, I pray that you would work in our lives today. Search our hearts. Help us to know if we've been selfish, if we've stepped outside of your love. Help us to renew our commitment to our first love, Jesus Christ. Help us to renew the commitments we have to each other as human beings and to accept each other the way you've anointed us to. Guide us in this time of invitation. We ask it in Jesus' name. Would you stand? As you stand, he's going to sing the love of God. The altar's open. Do what